What's up, Military Millionaires? We have another exciting episode this evening, and we are bringing in Alex Rashears to talk about private lending, private money, limited partnerships, and everything that goes into uh, lending money. So as a lot of you know, private money gets toted a lot as, oh, just go find a private lender to fund your deal. And uh, that's all well and good, except they're not always as easy to find, and you don't always know how to structure them. And uh, there's a whole lot of question marks after that statement gets said. And Alex and I were on the phone the other day and I was like, wow, you know what you're talking about. And you've built a community, the Private Lending Lessons Facebook group, which uh, I actually just invited a friend to today because I think it's a very useful platform for asking those questions. And she basically, well, I'll let her tell all of it, but we had a good talk and I was like, wow, yeah, let's get her on the show. So this is going to be a good time. And uh, also because I I don't know. I didn't say anything about him. Alex Felice is here. He's still the co-host and you should hopefully have heard enough of these episodes that you know that. Um, but you know, I should give him an intro anyway. So I need to get better. That was quite that. We're going to, we're going to perfect that part eventually. Welcome to the military millionaire podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families, how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle 1, you're clear to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic 1, Oscar Mike. Alex, without a beard, welcome to the show, and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, David. Uh, I am a military spouse for the last 20 years. My spouse is an active duty service member in the Navy. And in that time frame, um, we've moved 19 times. I'm currently sitting in my 19th address in 20 years. So as you can imagine, having any sort of, you know, meaningful career or doing anything, you know, job wise becomes very difficult as it is in a lot of military spouses. Um, it's just career is non-existent. And we used to actually invest as active investors. Uh, various places we were stationed around the country, we bought some rentals, we did a couple fix and flips and quickly discovered that was not us. Um, I, I call it real estate hazing or newbie real estate hazing, where if someone says you're interested in real estate investing, there's normally only two options that are presented to them. They're either gonna be a buy and hold investor and be a landlord, or they're gonna be a fix and flip investor and they're gonna put farmhouse sinks into ugly houses. And there's never like any other options ever presented. They're like, here, if you're a real estate investor, this is what you do. And uh, of course we fell into that early on and we're like, okay, let's go, you know, be a landlord and have passive quote unquote, passive income as a landlord. Um, for people that are landlords, you know, it's not necessarily all that passive. Um, you know, we did the fix and flips to, you know, get capital to buy the quote unquote, passive rental. So we feel like we did a lot of the typical textbook active investor things early on. And just with the military lifestyle and constantly moving and trying to be a landlord from 2000 miles away. And even with property managers, we were miserable. The, the happiest day of our rentals was the day we sold them, to be honest. Um, the last time we had a rental was over 15 years ago when we vowed we would never do it again. So after that, um, we kind of stepped away from real estate because again, the only options we had kind of been fed was, you know, you're gonna be a buy and hold investor or a fix and flipper. And we had tried both of those and just didn't enjoy it at all. And um, I worked as a hard money loan broker, you know, early on in my kind of real estate endeavor while I was going through undergraduate school. And uh, the guy basically just came up to me at Aria and he's like, oh, I hear you're a STEM major because I was a chemistry major. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, you must be good with numbers. And I'm like, 
yeah, I'm pretty decent with numbers. I can, I can run a calculator. And, uh, you know, he said, well, you know, I'm looking for someone to kind of help run my office and do loans and all this and kind of explained what was involved. And I'm like, oh yeah, flexible hours as a college student, I'm there, let's do that. And it just kind of took off and running his back office, I got to see, you know, kind of the cash flow through the, through the projects, you know, they would come from his lending business, you know, to the rehabbers, the payments are coming in from the rehabbers and the payoffs and all of this. And I was just like, hum, okay, in Florida, hurricane hit, mortgage still has to get paid. Contractors were ran off the job, mortgage still has to get paid. You know, tenants didn't pay the rent, mortgage still has to get paid. I'm like, I think I need to be on that side of the equation. You know, after being a landlord and fix and flipper, I'm like, the mortgage side makes more sense. Um, so after we bought our home, we live in Hampton Roads now. And after we bought our home, it was finally just kind of time to say, okay, it's time to step foot back into the real estate investing arena. And we decided to do that kind of by accident. Um, you know, I'm, I feel like serendipity kind of steps into your life occasionally. And we just happened to meet another active duty service member because, I mean, it's Norfolk. You can't throw a rock and not hit five people affiliated with the military in some fashion here. And uh, he was, he just turned out to be the exact borrower. He had the exact property. Um, it happened during the very beginning stages of COVID when the hard money lenders just kind of shut their doors and said, you know, we're not funding anything, have a nice day. And it left a lot of investors in the lurch. You know, they, they were banking on having this closing. He was banking on having a closing the end of, end of March. And that's when the hard money lenders literally just shut their doors four days before his closing. So we kind of stepped in and said, well, you know, if we were going to get back into investing, this is how we would do it. And, you know, with the help of attorneys and getting everything set up, we were ready to fund the loan about two weeks later and closed on our first loan, um, and then we we're like, okay, you're just kind of sitting in the bag, like in at the end of Finding Nemo, they managed to go through this entire adventure to get to the ocean. And then they're just sitting in their little plastic bag and they're like, all right, now, now what do we do? You know, the, the benefit of being a passive investor is you're passive, but I'm stuck inside as an extrovert during COVID. You know, once your capital's deployed in a couple of loans, you're, you're just kind of getting weekly text message updates, you know, here's the project, you know, here's what's going on, tiles installed, you know, cabinets are installed, like, okay, great. So I actually went looking for community. Um, it's one of my, one of my gifts. I love people. I love talking to people. And uh, like you mentioned in the intro, we take the private part very seriously as private lenders. We are fantastic at hide and seek because even I couldn't find us. And, you know, and at that point I was in there, I was in the ranks. I couldn't find him. Um, every private money group I joined was very much just kind of a place for scammers, um, for hard money lenders to kind of, uh, you know, basically spam out their programs, their terms, their brokers. Nothing was discussion based, nothing was conversational, nothing was informational. And I'm like, all right, if I can't find a tribe, I'll build one and start helping other people learn how to do this because I feel like this is a viable option that should be presented to more investors early on. Um, instead of just fix and flip and buy and hold, you can be a part of a team that's doing the fixing and flipping and buying and holding, but maybe this suits your personality, your strengths, your time commitments better than those other two options. What is Why this over, <clears throat> over something long-term, reliable, lower, I mean, fix and flip, hard money, essentially what you're doing, I mean, it's private money, but it's hard money. I mean, it's inherently high risk. That's why it's hard. So we why, are, I mean, we you, are, you, yeah, ahead, I would sorry. say usually we are into the house no more than about 65% of the after repair value. 
So our equity position in the property is usually very, very good. Um, if we do any sort of second lien position, we did do a second lien position on one property. Um, he took the first lien subject to, but I mean, the, the first lien was only at like 40% of the after repair value, really didn't need a whole lot of rehab. He just needed about $30,000 to kind of literally throw in some paint carpet flooring and update the kitchen a little bit. Um, so even at that one, the combined loan to value is about 130 and he sold that one for 265, you know, three months after he closed to borrow the money. Are you taking rates or are you taking a split? Uh, we are entirely on the debt side of the equation. So we are doing uh, points and interest rate. Okay. I, the biggest question, I mean, I, my question stands, why would you do this over... I mean, I assume I'm, from your personality, I, it seems like you like it. Yes, <laughs> it's, yeah. a lot of fun. it's a lot of fun for me. Um, it's to me, it, this is, if anything, I feel like this is a little safer for our particular investment goals. If we just wanted to park money somewhere in a mortgage that was, you know, say five years, 10 years, whatever it is, um, even if you could get something that would be quote unquote competitive for a longer rate, you know, competitive for the lender, not from the borrower's perspective, you know, say seven, 8% interest rate, you know, if you're locked into that for, you know, five years, 10 years, whatever that is, you slowly have inflation eating away every year at your five, six, seven, 8%, whatever it is. Um, whereas if you're constantly recycling that money, that velocity, I don't know if you're familiar with the velocity of money, but you're increasing that velocity of money, being able to loan out the money you know, every four months, every six months, every eight months, um, you know, you can kept, get a couple origination points every four months or six months or eight months. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's really what it kind of boils down to, but it's also, you know, if we are at the top of a market, you know, if we do have some sort of impending crash coming, you know, some of the talking heads are saying, um, you know, if you're in a property five, seven, eight, nine, you know, 10 years, if you're in there at a little higher LTV and that crash does happen, there's no incentive for the borrower to, to perform on the note because they're, they're essentially underwater. Whereas in this case, you're so, you have so much equity in the deal that you know, they have money tied up in the deal because it's a refund draw model. Um, you know, they have money that they've put in to close because we do a certain percentage of loan to close. So they have a lot more incentive to perform. I like it. So what is, uh, do you have like an ideal, your, in a perfect world, your go-to structure what would it look, what, what, what are you looking for? Like, uh, I, I mean, I'd be just curious on like points, percentage, uh, you know, length of loan, like what is your ideal? And then I'd kind of like to talk about uh, how you can tweak those numbers to make a deal work. So I would say ideal is kind of hard because every deal is just so completely different. Uh, we generally do not do loans over 12 months because they're designed to be exclusively for fix and flips. That's, that's what we're funding. So if you are really holding on to a fix and flip longer than maybe six, eight months, you know, we have other problems um, because holding costs and whatever else is probably eating you alive. And especially if it tends to be a relatively thin deal. Um, so I would say no longer, you know, holding times of no longer than maybe eight months, uh, nine months. I know some borrowers are having problems during COVID with supply chain issues, you know, borrowers waiting a couple months to have windows put in and, uh, you know, getting appliances seems to be a common problem, at least here for, you know, some of the uh, fix and flip investors that I know of, they're waiting a couple months to get entire kitchen appliance packages. Um, so we're trying to keep that in mind with a little bit longer hold time on our loans, but I would say no longer than 12 months. 
uh, we traditionally do not charge origination points up front because what we do is we do a shorter loan time, but we charge a flat interest rate as opposed to an annualized interest rate. So if they have the loan for uh, six months, say that a lot of our loans are six months, if they have the loan for six months, it's a 10% flat interest rate. And that just keeps everything easy, you know, accounting wise. Um, and then if they're experienced enough or have enough assets on hand, we actually will offer to roll that entire um, loan, that interest payment into the payoff of the loan when they go to sell it. So realistically, you know, they don't even really aren't making an interest payment. Um, and it's really about, the nice thing about private lending is you don't have to go and check all those boxes that an institutional lender might want. We have the flexibility to go, you know, I understand in the fix and flip model, it's a massive outlay of cash at the very beginning. So it's not in the borrower's best interest to outlay more cash for interest only payments that we're gonna get anyway when they go to sell the property. So it's one of those things where you can kind of give and take and work with the borrower, work with the deal and see what meets everybody's needs. I have been doing, I did, start, I did private money for my fix and flips last year. And that was uh, the big reason I, uh, I paid probably more than I have to to my investors. Um, I don't, I like my investors. I want them to make money. So they give me a lot more. Uh, so I don't mind that, but that was the one caveat. I'm like, and I don't do, I, my investment, my relationship is a little bit more. In, I know these people very well. Mm -hmm. um, so the one thing I said to them, I said, look, I want all the money up front. I don't want, I don't want draws. I want it all up front, but these people know me. And the second one is I'm not giving you anything every month. You're out of your mind. You're going to give me the money. Then I'm going to give you your money back. That doesn't make any sense. Now I understand why the hard money institutional, I, I'm going to use the term institutional hard money lenders um, yes. do so, but um, I do know that there's, um, I know some other lenders that have meant that that's a point of contention and a kind of a, it's like, why are you paying out a monthly payment for a six on a six month loan? This, if this thing goes south, th th those five payments aren't helping you out anyway. <laughs> and they're only yes. going to hurt the flipper. Right. Exactly. So, I mean, there's a, there's that fine line between you want, you want to make a return on the money because that's obviously why we're investing. But at the same time, you want to set everyone up for success because it's in my best interest that the loan performs. It's in the borrower's best interest that the loan performs. It's that end retail buyer's best interest that the home gets rehabbed, put on the market and sold, especially nowadays since inventory is so low. So everybody's kind of got the same goals aligned um, in that particular model. Yeah, I love that. I, I often tell people that that's one of the huge advantages of, you know, if somebody's loaning to you out of a self-directed IRA is that they don't even, you know, they don't need the money. There's nothing yeah. they can do with the money. So they're not going to be able to touch the money, even if you gave it to them. So a lot of times it's very easy sell to be like, Hey, look, I'll just give you everything at the end. One big check. Don't have to keep track of payments, whatever. Um, I, but I find, you know, like you said, Alex, with, with hard money lenders, that's, it's not usually the case. And, and a lot of private money lenders kind of like to do things traditionally because they're like, they're used to mortgage, monthly payments, whatever, but uh, that's gold. If you're lending to a fix and flip investor and you can understand like, look, if I get $500 a month for six months or they give me 6,000 at the end of that six months, doesn't make it, that was terrible math, 3,000. You guys know what I meant, Marine over here. Bro, he does math on. on this show in his head every episode. In every episode, he ruins it. Whoa, it was spot on last episode. Thank you very much. And I caught it and fixed myself. The point I being, think it would be amazing. I think it would be amazing if we could get a big chunk of our listeners to all mail you calculators. A calculator. For Christmas. Christmas is coming up. We're going to mail you a bunch of calculators. That's going to be amazing. 
<laughs> Listeners, go to David's website, find some. Do you have some place we can send you stuff? I look forward Post to that. the look on your you face that says, I'm an asshole when you see what I got you for Christmas. <laughs> I'm get you a big prop calculators <laughs> i'm just gonna send you the boxes of what i got you for christmas now and i'm gonna keep it we'll, we'll play this okay. game so the point being that it really doesn't make any difference because you get the same amount of money whether you get it up front i mean if they were to relend that money right away okay but nobody's relending five hundred dollars uh, i mean no. maybe they you know bank it on some pokemon cards or some some tesla stock you couldn't even buy a tesla stock right now for that because it's overpriced but anyway uh you know what i mean so i think that's gold for a fix and flip is it makes a it makes their life way easier because they're not having to worry about payments and b yeah they need the money at the time so yeah i think that's awesome yeah i mean it, like i said it's really i enjoy it from the collaborative aspect um because one thing i didn't like about being a landlord and i feel like especially been exacerbated with COVID 19 is you know, there, there's that whole eviction moratorium and the rent cancellations and the rich landlords are kicking out the working poor class that lost their jobs in the whole nine yards. Um, you know, and so the, the goals tend not to be aligned. You know, the tenant wants to pay as little as possible for a mansion and the landlord wants to provide something that's reasonable, but obviously collect as much revenue as possible. And those two things end up causing a lot of friction and, and butting heads. Um, whereas, you know, when I'm working with an active investor, you know, like I mentioned, we still have the same goals. We're just on opposite sides of the table. So it's in our best interest to work together. That's mostly, that sounds good, but historically banks have been hated on almost as much as landlords <laughs> in, in history. So, you know, I'm landlords are definitely, they're definitely in the sour right now, but yeah. you'll have your moment. You'll have your moment too. <laughs> I agree. I'm not saying we're not completely culpable as a, as a group, but, uh, and I mean, it's, it's on the small side, I think having that flexibility of being smaller and not having that institutional tie um, allows us that collaborative process. Yeah, I, I do like, especially like small scale is perfect example because mm -hmm. you guys are like, we both have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. we both, like we have to have, this has to work out because this is, you know, this is your money and, and their money. Um, the bank, they're like, you know, from a banker's perspective, literally at the bank, they're like, look, if some of these loans don't default, we weren't trying hard enough. <laughs> so everybody who's going to big banks, like I'm going to get the other oh, bank approved me. It's like, bro, they want, they have, some of these going to have to fail. Otherwise, <laughs> so just so you know how I think there's a big difference. There's no way, Alex, that I can imagine that you're ever going to have a business model where you're like, some of these have to default. So we know we're pushing hard enough. That's never, ever, ever going to happen. Yeah, so. <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely correct. Oh, man. All right. So I'm Nick, the new guy, and I posted online that I want to know how to get started in real estate and I have no money. And someone told me private lending. How do I make myself appeal to anybody who would even think about giving me money if I don't have a track record? Like what what are some things you think could make somebody competitive or at least worth looking at, because obviously Nick, the new guy doesn't have a whole lot of experience in saying, Hey, you want to give me a hundred K is eh. so I'm curious yeah. on if you have any thoughts on that. I have uh, I get that question quite a bit. And I would say the number one thing would be to partner with someone or have some sort of mentor that can walk you through your first deal. Because when I talk to a lot of fix and flippers, um, especially experienced one, they'll tell you, like, if you break even on your first fix and flip, like that you did a good job, you know, because tend, you tend to be very uh, under 
estimating your construction costs, maybe your holding times. Um, you start opening walls and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't know all this was in there. Um, you start digging up piping. And so your construction goes over budget. Uh, you're, you usually go through at least two or three contractors. I feel like that's just a rite of passage. And they're going to run off with your deposit that you gave them all entirely up front. So that's going to make your construction run over. So yeah, I mean, it happens. It's a story. It happens all the time. So that's why I say, because people will go and say, I don't want to partner with someone. I don't want to give them half the deal. And it's like, well, I'm thinking you having half a positive outtake of this entire thing is better than you having a negative outtake of nothing. So I would say- Especially if you, can, if you lose. Yeah. I mean, if you can I would have much with, rather only lost 15K instead of 30 <laughs> on my first flip. Right. So if you can partner with someone or at least have some sort of, you know, maybe official mentor, or, you know, relationship arrangement agreement, um, you know, something like a mastermind like that you do that you can go to this quote unquote board of advisors and say, hey, look, I'm stuck on this. I don't know how to approach this. Because realistically, as a private lender, what we are buying, what we are funding is not necessarily a property at the end of the day. That legally might be what we're doing, but we're funding our faith in you to execute a business plan that you have sold us. And so in order to do that, that's why everybody stresses the track record, because we want to see that you've bumped into the walls, you've, you've you know, overcome these challenges. You didn't just walk away and go, oh, I guess that was a bad deal. I'm done. You, you guys, you lender people, take that back, um, you know, that you had the guts to stick in the game when things go wrong. And it's not a matter of if things go wrong, it's really when things go wrong when you're talking about fix and flips. Um, so I would say partnering with someone that's more experienced would be my first step. Um, you know, if that's not a possibility, if you're just adamant, you wanna, you wanna lone wolf it, then, you know, worked with a, some sort of mentor mastermind group, um, you know, just buying a course off the internet, you know, and not talking to anyone is not really gonna do you very many favors because real estate is very much a relationship business and that one-on-one -on -one back and forth, being able to ask questions in real time, I feel like is just absolutely invaluable, especially the first couple of times you go through any sort of investing. But, but Alex, I watched the whole first season of HGTV. I've got right. this. <laughs> right. And the, the other scary thing is, is a lot of the new people that do not have that sort of support um, will, will be the ones that get into the thin deals, you know, the most riskiest deals, you know, they're, they're buying this property that needs, you know, massive amount of overhaul, you know, born, you know, made in the 1900s, you know, all old plumbing, you know, plaster walls, a whole nine yards. Um, and they're, they're buying at 80% after repair value because the wholesale, wholesaler told them some inflated ARV, told them, oh, it only needs paint and carpet, and, you know, it's $20,000 worth of rehab. And then when you really get looking at it, you're like, yeah, no, you're buying it at 80% of ARV and it's going to need more like 80, you know, just to, just to get it somewhere where it's going to be decent to retail to a home buyer. Um, you know, and I've run across that a little bit more than I'd like with new investors, especially since COVID's become a thing, just because inventory has been just so historically low. Um, even properties that need work are going on MLS and selling for over asking, sometimes well over asking. And you're just looking at it like, what numbers are you looking at? Are you smoking something? Like that's that's not really, and I get a little annoyed. People call everything a deal. You know, it's like, oh, you know, I got this contract. It's a great deal. And I'm like, it might be a deal, but it's not a deal for you. <laughs> you know, it's, it's that situation. Um, so I, I really feel it's crucial to have someone. There are some, you know, hard money lenders, private money lenders that will work with newer investors and do a little bit more of the handholding. They usually want to be on the debt and the equity side of the equation. So they will be that person to kind of walk you through the experience. 
Um, you know, and obviously you're going to be taking a, taking a hit on the percentage of ownership, percentage of the cut, whatever you're taking, but that education you're getting in real time is very often well worth it. So, uh, I was, I had a hard time with partners when I was new because maybe not that I wanted to, I wasn't so much that I was greedy and I wanted to take the whole deal. It's that I was too afraid to let anybody see how stupid I was. Right. <laughs> um, but, but that is a very, very common problem. A lot of people start off and like, I want to do it myself. We have a, um, a friend mm-hmm. in our mastermind that um, he won't do deals with partners at all. He just, he's like, every time I see the deal, I'm like, ah, I can do it myself and get the whole, the whole nut. And um, it's very, it's very limiting. It's very incredibly limiting. And most beginners go through it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, since I've kind of, I've been working with partners a lot over the last two years and uh, you know, it's so, um, there's just so many lessons to learn by having people around that will uh, take some of the work off, off your back. And the other thing is um, the greed about like, oh, I want to take the whole deal. It's like the first one, it's like college. Like yeah. you're not going to, you don't worry about making money. Just if you can make money, if somebody else can do all the work and you can make 10% of it, if somebody else can help you or whatever, if you do half the work and make 10%, it's like, bro, you got paid to learn how to do this. And once you know how to do yeah. it once, you kind of know how to do it. Um, and you 100% will get ripped off by contractors for sure. I still do. I had a guy on my last flip, I paid him $7,000 for some work. He did a good job. And then he came back and he was thirsty. And I could tell he was desperate. I don't know what was going on in his life, but he's like, I need this extra, this additional job I posted on Facebook. I was like, I need somebody to do this. He's like, I can do that. I'm like, you can't do that. I could tell he was thirsty. He talked me into it. I gave him seven grand on, on, for the work for this, this one house. He came back and he did another $2,500 job. I paid him half up front. He took the money and ran. Oh. And I'm like, it will happen to you. If you don't think a guy who just gave, who just did seven grand worth of work and did a good job and then rips you off for 1200 bucks three weeks later, it, if you're new, it will happen. You better get ready. So I, I love that advice. That's very, but look, it's different because you're a girl. Guys, <laughs> too much ego, too, way too much ego. <laughs> well, I would say, I honestly, I would say women, if anything, have a harder time because we are in the minority when it comes to real estate ownership. Uh, there's a huge, a lot of people talk about the income gap between men and women. The wealth gap is probably three times larger than the income gap because we just often don't have the assets. We don't have the time, you know, if we're working full time and then juggling a full household and a lot of the kid care and the whole nine yards, you know, you don't have time to be an active investor. You don't have time to go out there and scout for deals and run numbers and deal with contractors, you know, and that's just, that's what it is. And that's why I really like private lending um, because it tends to be a little work heavy up front, you know, doing the due diligence on the borrower, doing due diligence on the property. Um, but once you've kind of cleared those hurdles, it's pretty set it and forget it. You know, it's, it's just go out, make the money work for you. And then when, when it comes back home, turn around and, and roll with it. And if you get the same kind of pool investors, you know, I usually work with three or four of the same investors in my market. Um, you know, because we've done a couple deals together, I've seen other deals that they've done. I don't really need to do a whole lot of due diligence on them. You know, I'm comfortable with them. I'm familiar with them. We've closed deals. We've had a successful track record with them. It's really just looking at the property at that point. So it even becomes less time intensive as time goes on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you're, seems like you're a heavy extrovert. You said you love people. Um, so this definitely suits you. And uh, coming from a lending background, for anybody who doesn't know, um, the five C's of credit is uh, staple underwriting. The first one, and it's not as important, I guess, now as it was probably 20 years ago due to FICO and whatnot, but the first one is character. 
and um, and even in banking, right? It's like, yeah, I can go through your financials when it's when um, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds here, but when it's a Freddie or Fannie Mac deal and a, and somebody goes to get a mortgage and it's a it's a underwriting matrix and they're like, look, you got to have this score, this income, you fit the box, the government underwrites it, nobody cares, nobody cares who you are, like you meet the you meet the requirements to move on. That's not how banking really works, right? When a when a bank actually hands out their money out, they're like, who are you? Who are you, Dave? Are you gonna are you gonna be able to do this? Do you have what it takes as a human being to take this on? I don't care if your credit score is good. I'm looking at you. I'm sniffing you. And so it seems like this is your your strong suit is people. And so um, I love that you found this little um, you uh, you under and that's exactly it. You're underwriting the people. Yeah, and I tell people I've held seminars in the group. You know, putting together like your real estate resume and how to approach private lenders. And I tell people all the time, like two very, very simple things that take less than five minutes to accomplish both is one of them is make an email address that looks professional. I literally got an, a whole entire loan package from someone at one hot cookie at AOL.com. Like I didn't even know AOL was still around. So first off, that means you don't keep up with the time. Second off, you couldn't be bothered to take 30 seconds to make even a basic Gmail address for your company. Um, you know, and then the other one is make a professional Facebook profile. And that's the one that will do anything real estate related. Because the first thing I'm going to go do is I'm going to go Facebook stalk you. And if you have, you know, a ton of, you know, Italian cars and guys waving cash and, you know, talking about, you know, jewelry and this and that and shoes, and that's not the type of person I want to work with. That's someone that's not spending money wisely, in my opinion. Um, so nice. that's, that's why I would say... <laughs> Can you do me a favor? <laughs> He's like, oh no. We're, we're done. I want you to go to my <laughs> and I want you to see if you would lend to me. <laughs> I mean, it's just one of those things, you know, like you go back to, you know, the five C's of, of lending, um, you know, people, I'm investing in people and people only invest with people that they know, like, and trust. And factors that I trust are people that have a heart of service, that they have some level of commitment to getting the job done, that they have some level of resilience. Uh, you know, those sorts of those sorts of traits are not generally found in people that are running around waving cash on Facebook and, you know, showing off their fancy new cars and things like that. Like if that's all your Facebook profile feed is, you're not my borrower. I just bought a new car. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Uh, no, uh, so look, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm an anomaly, but uh, this is really good advice. So for listeners, um, you know, Alex is a lender. I was in lending. Um, what she's saying is really, really important. Like how you portray yourself, um, you know, like people judge books by covers. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. Like, and, and you know, you should, it should be both. You don't want to fake it and pretend to be, um, pretend to be responsible. You want to be you want to be a good steward of, um, of the, the project at hand. And then you want to outwardly convey that to the internet. Um, dude, email addresses, that's a ridiculous, like I can't believe you even say that. That's a really short barrier to, to, yes. to overcome. Yes. Um, and what I really recommend for people is um, get their own website. Get their own website. Mm -hmm. Get your own website. Because that's, that's really what tells people, um, this is what I want the world to see. Um, yeah, I mean, so that's it's really I... good advice. I'd liken it to, you know, you're going to talk to your boss, or at least you should be, you're going to talk to your boss different than you're going to talk to your buddies. And it's not that one is incongruent to the other. It's just, you're in a different environment. And until we're buddy, buddy, and until I'm going to your house to have barbecues, 
I just, I would personally like to see a little bit of professionalism from someone at the, at least at the very beginning, like a lot, the, my borrowers now, like we text daily and we're sharing pictures. Like they all have children. I do not have children, but they like to harass me because I don't like children. So they'll send me like what they say are cute photos of children. And uh, you know, it's just, we're, we're friends now. So at this point, you know, the relationship has been built and when we're good, but I don't want that from the very beginning. And I especially don't want to work with people that have an AOL email address. That's one hot cookie at AOL.com. Like that just blew my mind. I was like, no, you, if, cause I, I'm a firm believer that how you do anything is how you do everything. So if they couldn't take 30 seconds to just make themselves, you know, TH home buyers or whatever they were at gmail.com, something just super simple, you know, what else are they missing? You know, I guarantee you their scope of work is probably off. You know, their, their ARV numbers are probably off because they probably didn't spend enough time or any sort of analysis into it because they couldn't spend 30 seconds to make themselves look professional. Yeah, I agree. I mean, even if it was just your name at gmail.com, right? Like that's yes. something. And I would just piggyback off that and say that, you know, take the two minutes to put a some kind of a signature on the bottom of your email too. Like once you create that little, that what, whatever that website is, throw it underneath your, your name, your email or, or your name, your cell phone, your like a little business card, maybe two cents yeah. seconds about what you do and hyperlink to your website. And then you no, know, for one, you know, for anyone listening to this, for the one that looks somewhat professional and somewhat credible for two, you will get people to your website. Even if you're not talking about lending from that email address, which is nice. So win, win. Um, uh Oh, are we getting a share screen? What's going on over here? Alex blacked out. Oh no. Wow. All right. So we lost the other Alex. Oh, there he is. Oh, there he him. is. So anyway, um, what I like the number side, like I like the idea of factoring present value of money and discounted notes and stuff. Um, and I think a lot of that kind of coincides with seller financing, but it can be done with private lending too. Uh, just curious, you know, do you see a lot of similarities between, so with seller financing, you can do some weird, like some crazy stuff, right? Like I can Got. I had a guy who I was able to be like, hey, you know, instead of paying you for one one payment a month for 12 months, how about I give you 11 months or, or 10 months up front on January 1st and we're done for the year. And I've seen people do that. So there's some 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 fluctuation. Obviously, that's not what you're looking for on, on more of the hard money side for flip. Um, but do you see people who are who are willing to do that in the private money space or what kind of things are you? I guess what kind of. I don't want to say tricks of the trade, but like, how do you, how do you find the best return for what you're doing? I would I say it really depends question, but yeah, it, it really does. Um, Cause it's going to vary with loan amount. So for example, if you're loaning out $30,000, like I did in that second lien position, um, you know, if you're just doing 1% interest, you know, for the six months, that's not even really worth my time. You know, that's, that's, you know, what, maybe 1800 bucks. Um, you know, so at that point, it's like I've put out $30,000 kind of at risk being in second lien for $1,800. You know, that's that's really not a return. So when you kind of talk to investors, it's it's about setting a realistic expectation and just explaining to them, you know, this is the first time we've worked together. The loan is going to be in a second lien position. Yes, there's a ton of equity, but, you know, this is these are the these are the problems I'm seeing. And this is what I would like to do to mitigate the risk. You know, it's about being transparent. So when you're talking to them, uh, another private lender friend of mine, 
he, I really like the way he phrases it when he does these lower dollar amount loans is he says, okay, if I'm, if I'm going to lay out this $30,000, if you were in the position of laying out $30,000, would $1,800 make you, would that make you excited about the deal? Would that make you want to do the deal? And most of the time the answer is like, no, no, not really. And they're okay. Well, what number would make you excited about the deal? And they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe 3000 and they're like, okay, well, that sounds more reasonable, you know, and we'll work with that. So again, it goes back to that collaborative effort. Um, and that particular investor, you know, he has loans that are 17,000, 27,000. That's kind of his bread and butter is working in that smaller loan amount just because of the market he operates in. Um, you know, and I, I found that to be just a really good solution for working with investors. It's, it's not so much just a flat across the board fee, you know, because nobody likes being pegged into that little box. You know, they, they like to feel like they have a voice in the conversation and that allows them to have a voice in the conversation and kind of meet everybody halfway. So I would say on that front, um, it's really about meeting what the problem is, what their pain point is. So for example, when, you, when we talked about the fix and flip model, um, it's very cash intensive upfront. So what can I do to alleviate that pain point, but still make a return for me or make a return for investors that I'm placing funds for? And if it boils down to timing, okay, we have flexibility to play with the timing. We can do that, you know, and maybe we'll do, you know, 12% flat instead of 10% flat because we're waiting six months or nine months or a year to get all of our money. I'm okay with that because, you know, it's a little bit higher rate because it's a little bit higher risk. You know, we're not getting our money for 12 months instead of six months. So those are kind of some of the things. Um, as far as mitigating risk, I've seen all kinds of things. I've seen I heard one private lender required the borrower to uh, front load the entire rehab money up front to close the deal. And then they basically got draws of their own money back in construction. Um, I still have yet to figure out how that worked. Um, I've heard of refundable origination points. So one private lender would charge somebody like 10 origination points, but then once the deal was closed, um, and you know the loan was paid back. They would get back a certain number of those origination points, kind of as like incentive, you know, carrot to you'll get your money back in you know in 90 days, 180 days, whenever you actually close and pay us back. Um, I mean, so it really comes down to, like I said, what the pain points are and trying to solve the problem that's at hand. What's up, military millionaires? I wanted to briefly talk about a service I offer that a whole lot of people don't seem to know about, and I guess that's a failure on my part for not having discussed it enough. So look, finding a realtor that understands investing and or the VA loan or, or both is not always the easiest thing in the world. And finding a lender, same thing. So what I have started doing is I've built a, well, I have a large network, but I've started to compile it all together finally as a legitimate uh, Excel document-driven, location-driven list for you guys essentially so what it what it is is basically just my way of helping connect you with a realtor or a lender that i know personally and have vetted and talked to and understand that they're not going to screw you and what i do is like for example i had a market where i had two or three agents that i all sent the same person as a connection said hey man you know i, I trust I, I know all of these let me know what you think and they all said the same agent and same thing. So what I've done is if there's multiple agents in the same market, I choose the best one and that's who I'm going to hook you up with. But the whole point of this is just to help ensure that you get connected to the best agent. So if that is something that you would like, just go to the website, go to frommilitarytomillionaire.com slash VA dash realtor slash, or just reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook, whatever. I'll send you the link or you can find it on the resources page of the website. But look. All it is is a way to help connect you with an agent who's going to hook you up. No, I don't charge a fee for you. No, I don't charge a fee for the agent. 
it's just a way to hook you guys up. At the end of the day, as a buyer, you're not going to pay for a realtor anyway. So, ta-da, it's magic. You might as well use one. As far as VA lender, I've got a really good one that I work with and know very well. There's several others that are pretty good. And I'll probably try to steer you away from some uh, companies that I just don't think are very reputable or have been very helpful. So, you know, if this is a service that sounds good to you for free 99 then uh, reach out. And if not, then uh, enjoy the show right now. Thank you um, for saving so my terrible question. <laughs> you know where I was going. It was just yes. worded too broad, a, too broad a question. So um, if I could, I, I'd like to, um, it's really important, especially when uh, with, for new, for our new listeners that are trying to do this and they're, you know, what happens I think is they're like, well, I wanted this slip, but I have no money. And so they get desperate because they're like, well, mm -hmm. why would anybody pay any money? Which is the correct question. But they don't really stop to ask, well, what's the lender want? Because, you know, uh, I try to explain this to people. I'm like, look, if that lender is going to put up 80% of the, the deal, like you're the partner. It's their deal, right? They're the, the buyer. You're along for the ride more than anything. And so people don't really look at lending people as partners. They just look at it as, oh, the bank or, oh, the lender. It's like, dude, this guy, they have wants and needs too. And not all, not all banks are the same. Not all hard money lenders are the same. And obviously you uh, gave some really great examples of, Things I hadn't even heard of, actually. Uh, really, front-loading um, uh, points is actually really clever. Um, kind of like a pawn. You're kind of like... <laughs> so, uh, um, and so um, well, I kind of want to use myself as an example. Um, like, I will pay a really high equity split for my investors. Way higher than I have to. Way higher than I have to. But I want terms. And my terms are like, you're going to pay for 100... I don't want to come out of pocket anything. Right? And I'm not going to give you any draw payments and I'm not going to give you any, you know, it's like, you're going to give me all the money. And then when it sells, you'll get your cut, which will be big. Now I can't do that. Not everybody's going to, you wouldn't do that with a stranger, but these aren't right. strangers. And that's, uh, but my point, I guess, is kind of what you're saying is like, dude, people with their private money are infinitely flexible, infinitely flexible. And so what you said was, I love, which is like, find out what the lender really wants. Now, if you have a lender who's like a hard money institutional, again, I use that term in quotes, institutional hard money lender. Um, they're not going to be that flexible, especially if you've never done deal, but a lot of people will, and they'll be like, well, this is what I really need. And you can move risk around in a lot of different ways, um, as well, low LTVs, um, uh, all sorts of things. I thought it was really interesting. You said you, did you end up taking a second position? That's astounding to me. Yes, I did. I did. Uh, like I said, this was an investor that I was comfortable with. The deal had tons and tons of equity. It was not a major like literally it was under construction like three weeks and then it was back on the, it was back on MLS, you know, within that time frame. So in that case, it's, it's one of those things like there were the other factors in the deal made it worth the effort and time to do that deal. Yeah. Second position is not certain. I mean, people do it every day. So yeah. uh, it is rarer for hard or private money. Obviously I assume, yeah, the deal must've been, uh, I mean, it makes sense plenty in plenty of situations, but uh, again, it's one of those things where it's, um, Again, a, a new person, uh, I should probably explain it, a second position. If you're the first, if you're the first person and you own the deed, the bank, um, they have first position. That means if you default, they get paid, they get paid first. If you're second, it literally means after everything is defaulted, closed out, and the first person gets paid off, assuming they get fully paid, whatever's left goes to second position. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like, hey, I don't the risk has to be really low because if that has to go to second position, it's we'll call it lost. Um. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's, that's one of the things I see more and more the newer investors wanting, they'll, they'll say, Oh, I'm got, I've got a hard money loan, and they require me to put 10% down and they want me to have, 
you know, $20,000 in liquid assets, you know, in order to get construction going and hold. So I need a private money lender. I'm like, no, that's not how this works at all. You know, first off, a lot of hard money lenders won't accept a second position. They don't want a subordinate lien on the property because they intentionally want you to have some money in the game. So it's probably not even allowed, I would say, the vast majority of the time. Um, and I, I, it goes back to there's just not a lot of education on private lending. You know, Bigger Pockets has great books about how to be a landlord, how to estimate rehab costs, you know, how to do fix and flips, all sorts of things. Um, even note investing, they got a book for note investing, but there is not a book on Bigger Pockets about private lending. The only way it's mentioned in private lending is go find a private lender to fund your deals, but nobody talks about what the cash flow through that deal looks like. I routinely get private messages that ask me, what's my interest rate? I'm like, wait, what? That's, that's not a question. You know, for example, most private lenders only lend in their local market or a specific market. So I only lend in Hampton Roads, Virginia. So is your property in Hampton Roads, Virginia? No, it's in Idaho. Okay, well then we don't need to have this conversation. You know, the, the interest rate is completely null and void here. So, you know, it's really, I would say if you're, if you're trying to find private lenders to work with, do not start with the question, what are your interest rates? Because there's so many factors and so many other things to the loan other than interest rate that we are going to take into consideration. Well, that's because I, I imagine that's because, as I alluded to earlier, is the overwhelming um, process that people go through with loans is they go to a bank and they say, I want to get a mortgage. Mm -hmm. It's underwritten by Freddie Mac. So they're just selling a product that that they don't even own. They're not even it's not even they're a broker for somebody else's. Uh, you know how I get about brokers, uh, David. <laughs> And so they're like, well, we'll just sell Fannie, Fannie Mae's loan. And Fannie Mae says, if you fit this box, you're good. And so all they care about is the rate um, because the terms are fixed and the terms are yep. well known. For 30 years, it's fixed. Done. Simple. And it's yep. like, and so people go, that's what banks do. And I'm like, that is not what banks do. That ain't even close. That's one bank product <laughs> in the entire banking industry. That's one bank product. And people go, that's what banks do. And I'm like, so um, yeah, I just love this. I, I, I love lending. So I love this conversation. Uh, and I, I think it would behoove people very well to um, to learn how things work. They just go, well, what's my down payment? And okay, go to private loan for that. I'm like, you have no idea what you're asking right now. Yeah, um, it's, yeah. It's not I mean, it, that's really why in the in the Facebook group, you know, we didn't limit it to just people that are doing private lending. We opened it up to active investors because a lot of times active investors are also doing some private lending as a side hustle but also it's education for active investors. That's not really out there for active investors. And, you know, they are able to kind of take a peek behind the curtains and watch conversations that private lenders are having with each other. What concerns us? What do we do? What are some of the options? So those active investors are available to that read those conversations that private lenders are having with each other. And I feel like that's, that's gold. You know, you start learning the lingo, you start learning what we can do to mitigate our risk, you know, what our attitude is worth, you know, working with and collaborating with active investors, you know, what markets we're in, what we've done before, the types of deals we fund. Um, so, I mean, I feel like that level of education is invaluable for active investors, which is why the group is open to active investors in the first place. Yeah. It, it's, I mean, it's like all things sales, right? So recruiting duty, they talk about needs and motivators, consultative selling. And so you're not going around and saying, Hey, how much do you want for that house? You're figuring out why they need to offload the house, right? What's the story? Why do they, maybe they need 10 grand in cash to move and they don't care if they pay zero interest on the home or maybe they need, you know, whatever. And it's the same thing with a lender, right? Like they're not just somebody, it's 
you're not going to find an actual private lender, someone who actually does private lending. You might find like a mom and pop who has some money in a self-directed IRA or whatever. It doesn't know what they're doing with it. Might be a little bit less sophisticated, but somebody who actually does lending is not going to give you two and a quarter percent for, you know, <laughs> 30 <a years>. super <laughs> risky. Like that's not it. You're not shopping rates. You're figuring out what do you need? Because you're giving me a lot of money, which I didn't have the personal finance or, or what, like my situation does not allow me to have this much money. I need your money. So what's in it for you? Right. And I think that's people get wrapped in when that the, the problem with the advice of go find a private lender is people think of like, well, I've got this awesome thing and the lender's going to get maybe. Right. But it's yeah. got to be worth their time. Yeah. No lender right now is going to give you 3% interest without any idea what the you know market's going to look like in six months, right? So the government does 3% interest, bro. Ooh, yeah. It's government backed, <laughs> right? But, wow. but you yeah. didn't qualify for that debt or you wouldn't be having a conversation with a private lender. So, yeah, I mean, hopefully, yeah, right? If you... terms of, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't take the time to think about the risk that they're asking. That's, that really is what it is. Like, what is, what is oh, the... absolutely. And, and then also, my, uh, I love David said that he goes, well, I have this great deal. It's like, yeah, but the lender's only going to make a rate. They're not going to make the equity that you're going to make in this great deal. So uh, it's not. Maybe it's you not offer the incentive. equity play, right? Like maybe that's part oh, of it, depending sure, on, yeah. you know, you got to make it worth their time. And that, that's the bottom line. It's everybody wants to know how to get a mentor. We'll go va add value. Well, it's the same thing for anything you do in life. It needs to be about the value for everybody involved. Absolutely. And it's, you know, real estate is very much a relationship business. Like you, you can get somewhere to a certain degree if you're burning bridges and, you know, screwing people over and you might get ahead in that one deal or a couple deals. But I feel like in any market, no matter how big your market is, your name will eventually get around. And then once, because one of the things I do as a private lender is I contact three of your professional references that you gave me. And everybody's like, oh, it's fine. You know, I'll give you my cousin, my, my coworker and whatnot. And I'll say all these great things, but then I'm going to go and ask them for other people that have worked with you. And it's usually that second ring of people where you start getting the real truth of, you know, what happens when the nuts and bolts start coming off the buggy. Like how far did you roll when certain things went wrong? Um, and those sorts of stories make their way around any sort of real estate community. Like we might be socially distant right now, but I guarantee you that does not stop people from spreading gossip and letting everybody know who the problem child is in any particular market. So that's why I say err on the side of caution, you know, do your first couple deals with a partner that somebody that you trust. Um, and on the, you know, on the note of partners, do that same due diligence on them as if you were a lender, you know, make sure they are legit and that they are capable of doing that they have the track record. And then basically you're buying into that, you know, you're, you're piggybacking on their track record. Yeah. I want to, I want to, I want to I wanna do a deal with you so bad, just so I can see if I would pass your due diligence. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, <laughs> I, uh, I went to a lunch once just to prove your point. And there's all kinds of stories like this, but I went to a lunch once I was in, in town very briefly. I had not a whole lot of time, not a whole lot of days. So I was like, let me just grab a couple investors that I know and I'll just slam them all together into a lunch. And you know, they're all locals, so they'll get to network together. It'll be beneficial for everyone. And lunch was great. Everyone was, you know, whatever. 30 minutes after lunch, phone rings. And my buddy's just like, hey, I saw so-and-so. I saw you talking to so-and-so. You need to know this, 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 yep. this, right? And I was like, oh, thank God. Like, oh my goodness, you know, dodged a bullet, right? Because yeah. in that situation, it was essentially, well, I can't give, nobody knows what I'm talking about. So not too many details, but essentially <laughs> the warning was, 
so-and-so is a predatory lender. Like you're going to get screwed if you go into any, if you borrow any kind of money, that dude is not looking for good, mutually beneficial deals. He's looking to get the house. I'm like, oh, well, that's good to know. Thanks. I appreciate that. Like, yeah. um, you know, and maybe there's a, there's always two sides to every coin, but yeah, it'll get around. Right. And so you don't want to burn that. I guarantee Alex is not going to recommend that contractor who ripped him off unless you suck. Right. Unless he really dislikes you. He's not going <laughs> to recommend like, I got you a guy that for you. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's why I say, you know, whatever you're trying to do, just have more of a, an abundance mindset, a collaborative mindset, and that's going to get you further in life than, than anything than trying. I know a lot of people tout, you know, hustle, 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 you know, stay up till 10 o'clock at night after you've been at work all day. And that's what really makes it. And I'm like, I, that might be a case to a certain degree, but I think what really makes it is when you become part of a team that everybody has that mindset where they're ready to pitch in, they're ready to jump in, they're ready to be collaborative, they're ready to help because you're going to get farther on a team. If you want to do any sort of scaling in real estate, you're going to have to bring team members on board, you know, whether that's to buy, you know, more than six, you know, fix and flips in a year, you want to do 12. Well, you know, where are you going to get that extra manpower, capital and time, a partner, you know, whether it's syndication, you know, you're not going to take down a $4 million apartment complex on your own. Chances are, um, you know, how are you going to do that? You're going to bring, you know, three other, four other GPs on the team. They're going to bring their limited partners to the team. And, you know, that's just what happens in real estate. It's a very collaborative team sport. So I think the sooner you can embrace that concept of an abundance mindset, a collaborative mindset, I think that's probably the first thing to do when you're, when you're a new investor in general is just walk into every situation with that mindset. I'm going through my um, second apartment deal, first big syndication Three, mil, three and a little bit million dollar deal and four, four GPs, just like you just said. And it's going to be 20 plus LPs. And I couldn't have done this four years ago when I mm -hmm. was, had very much smaller experience with partners. Um, and so kind of to, to piggyback on what you're saying, like not only do, do you, you get better at working with partners, you get better at it. And then like, you know, people want to work with you more if you do good business. So um I highly recommend it because now this is going to be one of my best deals. This is probably going to be my best deal yet. And it takes, you know, a freaking village to take this, this thing down. And I couldn't do it without people. And it, those are long relationships that I built a lot of them in many ways yep. and in many cases. And um, I just love that. Yeah, people. I, this is a good episode, man. We're talking positive about people and banking. This is right up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm there. <laughs> Lending, and, not I mean, <laughs> and I mean, and you bring up a very good point. Like the time to start looking and talking to private lenders is well before you have a deal under contract. It's, it's not a situation where if you call up a hard money loan broker and they can have you funded by next Friday, you know, it's, it's, do we have the capital available? Do we have a loan coming back in to then disperse funds back out in the timeline you need? Um, so it, it's very much a relationship model with most of the private lenders that I know, you know, they want to know you, they want to see what you're doing for a couple months, you know, they want to be friends with you on Facebook, you know, again, going back to the Facebook feed thing, um, you know, they want to get a sense of who you are before they could decide to wire $120,000 to your closing company and pray you're a good steward of it. Um, so the time to really start talking and networking with private lenders or looking for private lenders is well before you have a deal. And then to that yeah. front, if you find one that you really want to work with, just straight up ask them, what sort of, what market do you do you lend in? What type of deals do you want to lend on? What sort of LTV would you be comfortable lending with? And then go find deals like that. And I guarantee you, they will fund them, you know, because they're, they've given you their playbook and nowhere in there did you ask what the interest rate was. You just said, tell me what you need. 
I will fill that need for you and put your money to work in a safe manner, according to what you just told me you wanted. Yeah, I love it. 100%. All right. All right. So we got a few questions we ask every guest. The first one is if an E1, E2 or 18 year old was to walk up to you asking for advice, right? And I guess in this scenario, it would be advice on private lending. What would be the one thing that you would tell them? What do you wish you'd known? About private lending? Well, I would tell them about real estate investing in general. My number one takeaway would be there are more than just fix and flip and buy and hold as far as real estate investing goes. I feel like that's newbie real estate hazing. It's almost like when they put the rolls and the fried rice at the beginning of the buffet line and you fill up your plate because you're super hungry and it sounds great. But then once you're past that, you see that the shrimp and the crab legs are at the end of the buffet line. But you have to get through all that other kind of cheaper food, you know, to get to the crab and the, and the shrimp. So I feel like that's it's almost like a rite of passage that nobody really presents these options to you. Um, and to that token, no one's having the conversation with a new investor what strengths do you have? What weaknesses do you have? What sort of, you know, capital as far as time, you know, human capital and actual financial capital do you have to deploy? Because even when people, we talked about masterminds and mentors earlier, yeah, a lot of times they end up in these masterminds and these mentor groups after they've decided what type of investing they want to pursue. And it might be because, hey, my buddy bought a rental and it, it's going great, but they never really thought about does rental fit my real estate goals? You know, does rental fit my personalities, does rental fit my human capital, my time capital, things like that. So by the time they get to a mentor, they might be the greatest mentor ever for the Burr strategy, but nobody's having a conversation with that new investor to say, is the Burr strategy really where you need to be? Is it really where you wanna be? Is it really where you should be? So I would say early on, have the conversation with yourself, with your mentor, with somebody, and just have an open mind to other strategies of investing and really do some research on the options before you really nail down what you want to invest with. Yeah, to push back on that, on that a little bit, right? Didn't you start with rentals? I did, and I was miserable. <laughs> but that, but my point, right? My point is yeah. like, you start off with kind of, you may have, some people, I, I like the advice I think is sound, but it's very hard to implement, right? Because somebody's gonna come in and they're gonna be like, like, right, me, like me. Like, I'm not gonna buy another single family house. I'm gonna do multifamily, I'm gonna do a big syndication. And it's like, but I couldn't have started with that. I had to figure out that I had to figure it out in single families and you had to figure it out in single families too. Um, so there is a scalability of your talents. Um, yeah. But I do agree. Yeah. It's like some people, you know, I'm way better. I'm going to, turns out I'm going to be way better at raising money than I am actually. I'm not, bro, don't let me manage a property. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of fall in the same boat as you. You're like, I love people, but I don't want tenants. Like I just, no, you know, I mean, I was I, routinely, I was routinely let down because I expected adults to act like adults. And every single time I was just routinely let down between tenants and contractors. And I was like, I can't, I don't have children. I don't like children. I don't want to babysit other human beings. And that's literally what being a tenant and a fix and flipper was, was babysitting other human beings. And it drove me crazy. <laughs> yeah, she got mad there for a second, David. Oh, you, you have no idea. I've got some tenant doozy stories. Like, I, I, so we had horse property um, and we were renting at horse property because the Navy moved us last minute because um, his orders got pulled. And the people, when they left, they literally took all the wood from the fencing and the side of the barn with them and then had the audacity to text us six months later and saying that they were going to take us to court to get their security deposit back when they owed us like $20,000 worth of wood because they had taken literally all the wood on the property. <laughs> That's just one of the many. It was... It was just insane. I was just like, really? 
Yeah, I just had one of those. It's fun. They're like, yeah, so we're not going to send you the court-ordered amount of money we owe you in back-paid rent after the eviction until you give us your security deposit. Like, I don't, That's not I don't how this think works. you get that back since you owe me <laughs> like three grand. <laughs> yeah, but we want it back before we give you the three grand. All right, we'll just take you back to court, I guess. Like, it's not how this works. We destroyed the house. Cost almost 10 grand to renovate the house. And we had to evict you for two months. So not getting the deposit back, buddy. Sorry. And of course, that's on my primary residence. So my wife's like living in a barn. Like, did I move in yet? Like, not quite. Sorry. Love you. (laughs) It's been fun. She loves it. She's in a great mood. Anyway. uh, All right. Question number two. Resources. Are there like what resources would you recommend? Books, course, website, whatever. Anyone looking to get into real estate or or private lending? I know we kind of talked on it before the recording that private lending doesn't have a whole lot of resources out there. It really, if you got anything, it really doesn't. Um, so one of my favorite things is there's a group called the American Association of Private Lenders (AAPL). A lot of their material is geared towards a little bit more of what we consider like institutional, maybe hard money lenders but they do have a pretty strong subsection that that are resources for people that are doing private lending similar to what I am, just literally individuals lending their own money. Um, they routine, they have a conference every year in Vegas in November, it just happened. Uh, they are working on getting some online learning modules set up to teach people how to do private lending responsibly, doing underwriting, things like that. So I, I find that's probably my, my number one go-to uh, resource it's like $400 a year for, for a member to join as an individual, but you can watch all, they get a newsletter that you can sign up for for free. You can watch all their trainings live for free. The replays are, are for the paid members. Um, so I really think they are a valuable resource for people. Um, there are a couple books out there, none of, nothing I'm really super ecstatic and really, really love. But if you just go on Amazon to do private lending, it'll kind of give you an overview of, of what the process generally looks like. Um, but a lot of it is honestly just, kind of learning on the fly, you know, talking to other, that's part of the reason I started the group was just talking to other private lenders and seeing what they do, seeing what's available in their market, seeing what's their usury laws in their state say, you know, what can be done. Um, And a lot of that is really just going to come from, you know, talking to attorneys, talking to other private lenders. Um, Even if you talk to a hard money lender, you know, you can ask them, you know, why do you only lend to an LLC? Why won't you lend to an individual as, as an individual? Like, oh, well, the usury laws are far easier and higher if I lend to an LLC. If it's an LLC to an LLC, it's a different group of usury laws versus an individual to an individual, you know, much less a non-owner occupied property versus an owner occupied property. So you just, it's one of those things you kind of learn going into the trenches. Um, and that's why I say just finding a community of people that are doing that type of investing is invaluable. There's a couple podcasts out there that have private lending in the title. I don't remember the exact podcast uh, titles, but they do have private lending in the podcast title that you can kind of uh, listen to those, get a little bit of a brief overview of of various options that might be out there, various aspects of private lending. And then there's our Facebook group where every day we have a new discussion point. We have a virtual networking event every month. Um, We have educational series we were having them weekly until kind of the holiday season rolled around. So we scaled back a little bit, but they're traditionally weekly where, you know, you can come and just learn some new aspect of private lending that we'll just dial into, whether it's underwriting or how to do an, uh, an ARV appraisal, you know, those types of things, um, all basically related to private lending or investing passively in real estate. I love it. Yeah. And your Facebook group. Usury, is good by stuff. the way. Oh, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was just saying her Facebook group is good. 
continue. Usury, for those who don't know, is the practice of unreasonably high interest rates. Um, usury laws usually mean there's a cap on interest rates. I think in it's state by state, but it's usually like 30% or something horrible. Uh, it sounds like, I didn't know that you can actually do higher to, uh, LLCs, but it sounds like you can get around the usury laws. Um, uh, some, some late, some states like New York, for example, it doesn't matter whether it's your own money. If you are lending money to someone else, they require you to get licensing to do so. Um, so, I mean, it, it, there's lending laws that need to be taken into consideration as far as the, you know, whether you are, need to be licensed. And then there's the lending laws as far as what's the limitations, what's allowable, um, you know, is deed in lieu of foreclosure allowed in your state, for example, as opposed to, or, you know, is it a non-judicial foreclosure state, all those various aspects. Usury, well, they call it usury now, it's high interest rates, but usury, the practice of lending money is banned in all three monotheistic religions. <laughs> they don't like it at all. <laughs> usury is also uh, very common at car lots right out front of base. Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, oh, what is the highest interest rate we can get you with? There we go. Um, all right, cool. So where can people get a hold of you if they're not? So for one, I'll just replug re uh, private lending lessons is the Facebook group. And if you're interested in private lending, you should definitely go check it out because I, I like it. And I have poked around and asked a few questions so I can definitely plug it. But is there another way that you would want people to reach out or is that the best place to get a hold of you? I would say that's the best place. Uh, I'm on Facebook quite a bit. And so they can, they can join the group. Uh, they can send me a message, you know, privately through there. If they're, if they're in the group, they'll be able to see who I am um, and send me a private message. And I'm happy to jump on a call and talk to people. Uh, I had all the events that all the educational events that we've had previous are all recorded. So like there's an intro to private lending video that I usually will send people the links to like here, watch this 40 minute video. And this is how private lending works from the active investor standpoint. So they can always join the group and then go to the events tab and then just scroll through all the past events. And if there's anything in there that strikes their fancy, the link is right there and they can just do some educating themselves on private lending. Okay. And then I've got one final question, which I don't normally ask. When are you writing the book on private lending? <laughs> I've been asked that a few times. So we're actually working. I've actually, I've loved your uh, teachable videos because we're actually in the process, me and another private lender are in the process of setting up some private lending learning modules, um, oh, just cool. basically a, a course to get some information out there. Um, one course for active investors and how to attract private money lenders and how to talk to private money lenders, what some common terms, you know, flex points would be. And then another one for private lenders to actually, you know, start private lending because I feel like, because people I've been asked, they're like, why do you want to teach other people how to do private lending? That's less business for you. And I'm like, no, that's not an abundance mindset at all. <laughs> that's, that's more business for everyone else because if, if less people have to go through the headache of dealing with contractors and, you know, dealing with, let, you know, tenants in the whole nine yards, if we can be part of a team that if that suits someone else's fancy and that's their strength, let them do that. Make the tools available to let them do that. That is not my strength. I found that infuriating. So I'm happy doing what I'm doing. You're happy doing what you're doing. And we're both able to make money and not be stressed about it, you know, at least to a certain degree. Um, so I'm definitely of the mindset that the more people that can do private lending, it's helping more people. It's taking money away from Wall Street and putting it on Main Street, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, a lot of the people I work with are active duty service members. So I'm helping another active duty service member family on their trip to financial independence, you know, whatever that looks like for them. 
you know, we're an active duty family, they're an active duty family. I work with a lot of veterans as well. I mean, it's just, I feel like it's a, just a virtuous cycle. You start getting out there, helping other people in your community that eventually comes back to you. Like it. Alex, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been a really good episode. Actually, I both both three episodes we recorded today have been good episodes. So that's that's exciting. Uh, but this has been awesome. Uh, I think there's a lot of really valuable information in here. People are going to get a ton out of it on both sides of the fence. And yeah, I think you're going to get some traction, hopefully, to your Facebook group from this. Uh, if nothing yeah. else, um, I'm sure Alex will join. Because otherwise, <laughs> I'm going to tell him he's a crappy person because he wants I'm scared. To I'll never, I can't believe I passed due diligence. I have partners. That's the only reason why I get to buy them. <laughs> He's like, look at them. Look at their Facebook pages. Guys, <laughs> they, they got their stuff together. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the whole reason why people should partner. They're good at one thing you might, you're not good at. That's exactly a, a very good point. Oh man. I love it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been great. Thank you yeah. very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from militarytomillionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show. Give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.